players gather to cast powerful spells. In response? Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Crack LED, hold priority. Stand still. Thalia, Guardian of the Raven, Rite of Flame, and many others. Upkeep, trigger. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. Hold your bird. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by Bashmore on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at ToAMagic.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 85 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Bro for Initiative. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for this week, available in our Patreon-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access. And folks, there's some big announcements in that one, as well as a story so good, it made me just laugh until I cried. We did have to end the section early because Phil and Brian were incapable of speaking. Make sure to check that out. I am... Brian Coble, a.k.a. Boss and Roll. I am Brian Cook of the Epic Storm. And as always, I am Phil Gallagher, a.k.a. Thraben U. Start things off here. Thank you very much to our patrons who subscribed last time around. Yeah, new patrons. We got a lot. We got David, Looter Scooter, Tony, Alex. Alex McKinley of TheEpicStorm.com is officially a patron. That's exciting. Matthew, Patrick, and Jacob. That's seven new patrons in a week. Good stuff. Last week was the story I told about getting kicked out of a Vegas casino at Magic 30. That's probably what they all signed up for. And that's still there on last week's episode, if anyone else wants to hear that story. Thank you all your all the new people and all the existing people. Enjoy that 30 minutes. All right. So for those of you who listened last episode, we promised that we were going to talk about uh, bro spoilers at the beginning of the episode. And then an hour passed as we talked about Blue Red Delver. So today we're actually going to do that. And then we're going to talk about initiative for a second time, but in a little bit more detail this time around as we have some new initiative cards rolling out to MTGO. Also just completely different format, right? Like we spent an episode talking about Pauper Initiative. This is Initiative and Legacy. Right. Turns out Mechanic is still pretty cool. I also just realized when you said it out loud, bro spoilers, every time I've ever heard that said out loud has been a bad thing in life. Oh, uh, remember when Arya killed the bro spoilers. <laughs> Man, Iron Man got bro spoilers, but now they're good. Well, well some are of they them. though? <laughs> well, I mean, it's exciting to talk about new magic cards. Uh, I'm not saying the cards are good necessarily, but good conversation. I have a spoiler for everyone. I'm unimpressed with this set. I think there's one card that fucks for legacy. I think there's a handful of fringe players and there's some good stuff for other formats. Okay, let's just launch into this. I will read the first card. I'll be on card reading duty for tonight. Loran of the Third Path. Two and a white, legendary creature, human artificer. It's a 2-1 with Vigilance. When Loren of the Third Path enters the battlefield, destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment. So we got Reclamation Sage right off the bat. And then it also has Tap, you and target opponent each draw a card. Eat that, Thassa's Oracle. Yeah, get wrecked, Thassa's Oracle. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll, Phil will go in hard, but just off the surface here, I see a Reclamation Sage that you can Caracas. And I also see... A card that beats Doomsday, if it's active, because they can't go empty on their library. And it's in a deck that already plays four Spirit of the Labyrinth. And your opponent draws for turn. Then you tap Loran. You and that opponent draw a card. But they can't. Just straight up draw a card. That looks pretty and good to me. And it has Vigilance, so you can get in for two while also using this ability. Oh my god. Phil, go off. Tell me, tell me about wait, this. Wait, wait. Before Phil uh, gets off, oh, no. I have a question, Phil, about this Reclamation Sage ability. Yep. So obviously there's a lot of really sweet things about this card, but you already have Skyclave Apparition. I believe I said that right. Do these cards cannibalize each other or can you play them separately? Or maybe you even want five of these effects. Drop some knowledge. Okay. Skyclave Apparition is a great card. It very much changed D&T's ability to answer permanent types. Normally, there's two or three council's judgments in the sideboard to answer the things you just physically can't answer for a long time in game one. It used to be that, like, Flicker Wisp was your generic answer, get the Ensnaring Bridge out of play for a turn, and then crash in for lethal. 
and now Skyclave gives you a flexible way to answer cards. There is, however, a big problem with Skyclave, and that's the fact that it gives your opponent a body. And while that doesn't sound like that big of a deal, given the value that you are getting out of them, when you use it to remove something that's CMC4, and then your opponent just like lightning bolts kills the Skyclave and gets a 4-4, you have given them another problem that you are going to have to answer at some point. You were just really excited about 2-1 Vigilance. You're like, you get in for 2 on top of all this. Not through a 4-4, you don't. This card is very good. A White Reclamation Sage is something that I have been asking for in Death and Taxes specifically for years and years and years. And because I waited so long, they put a lot of extra text on the card. Like, thank you, Fire Design. It has Vigilance. It is Karakasable. It has perfect synergy with the things that are in Death and Taxes. Like, this card is a slam dunk. And I think it's very easy to see that. You will probably see this taking the spots of Cathar Commando in Death and Taxes. There is a caveat here. There is one very important card that this thing is not going to stop that Cathar Commando does. And that's Torpor Orb. Because this has a triggered ability on it, Torpor Orb will stop that. Whereas Cathar Commando has a sacrifice ability that Torpor Orb is not going to stop, that is going to be a defining difference between these two cards. So while Lauren is going to be absolutely clutch in something like 8-cast, just like you have your Vial on 3, just play it, Caracas it, Vial it in, kill another thing, Flicker Wisp it, Yori in it, like, you get so much value off of this card if you specifically need to fight Torpor Orb because, like, people are playing cards that overlap with Doomsday and Death and Taxes, for example. You may end up with a split of, like, one Lauren, one Cathar Commando, or, or something like that. So this is a slam dunk legacy Death and Taxes staple moving forward, but it doesn't necessarily cleanly invalidate Cathar Commando. And in a deck built around in Recruiter of the Guard, barely matters. Just split them. You'll find the one you need. Uh, Torpor Orb will slow you down, of course. When you were talking about Violon 3 with Caracas, reminded me of another Death and Taxes card. Good old Mangara of Karandor, the Ridge, the homie. This this is like that, but faster. And it doesn't pick off lands and creatures. It's not quite Mangara. We're not all the way there, but against the deck like 8-cast, it's going to feel like it. Yeah. The, the Mangara activation with haste is really Skyclave Apparition. That, right. That's what that is. It comes with a different downside. I, I love the Mangara lock. Like, I, I built a lot of my uh, my career on, on that, that lock. Uh, it's just very slow for Legacy these days. Whereas Recurring Lauren, like, assuming you make it to that point in the game, that's gonna be real good. For sure. And if there's nothing to bounce in Machine Gun, just start drawing cards. Let's go. Even if you don't have Spirit of the Labyrinth, the card that you often draw might be better than your opponent's card. Like, if you just have to treat this as, like, we both get a card. Yorian Death and Taxes has a lot of endgame bullshit in it. When you draw your Recruiter of the Guards, your Stoneforges, your Solitudes, like, you get a lot of value out of those cards. If things are close, it might break your way a good portion of the time because your deck is built for endgame inevitability, and while your opponent is drawing their, you know, dazes or stifles or whatever that is really meant for the early game, you might be drawing the better card on average. And even just some, something uh, less obnoxious than Spirit of the Lab, even just like a Thalia can be a tiebreaker when both players are drawing one extra card per turn, if theirs costs more and yours doesn't. I have a silly question for you two. So this card is Lauren of the Third Path. If you type First Path and Second Path into Scryfall, there are zero results. I was just curious if there's other paths that were taken, or if Lauren only goes down this third one. From a lore perspective or a card naming perspective, how do you end up on the, of the third path? This is an Artificer Guild, I believe, because Felden is also of the third path, and I think this is our second third path related card. Uh, I don't know if this is deep lore, but uh, Felden is on the same path as Lauren is. And then there's Founding the Third Path, which is a blue uh, enchantment. Okay, so uh, I imagine that's a saga. It is. I'm just curious. Uh, like how they ended up at this. I don't know. Maybe you're, I'm you're asking too far the, the wrong podcast, my dude. I am like pretty deep on magic lore. I've read all the novels and stuff. Uh, there might have been something kicking around in like Ice Age or whatever mentioning the third path. But clearly the third path is a group or a guild because somebody founded it and Felden's on it and Lauren's on it. And they're both human artificers. There's enough there. Fill in the blanks. But yeah. I don't know where the first and second path went. It's like the first 18 COVIDs. Where is it? Moving on. It's a on. pandemic. 
<laughs> All right, I just I just broke it. Okay, good good job. <laughs> the the next card that we want to talk about is Calamity's Wake. This is one colors and a white for an instant. Exile all graveyards. Players can't cast non-creature spells this turn. Exile Calamity's Wake. This Fuck is this a card. card that we're not necessarily mentioning for Legacy, but as CEDH players, this card is going to slap there. If by slap you mean be terrible and I hate it, then yeah, a little bit. I definitely like being on the cast lots of spells and win with my graveyard strategy. <laughs> it just slaps both of those things right out of the air. Underworld Breach, good luck, idiot. Respond with Calamity's Wake. Uh, just ad nauseum, like in response, Calamity's Wake. Just, I don't know. It, this is rough. It's a, a Silence and a Tormod script, both of which are things I don't want to play against. It's all graveyards, which is interesting. And because Brian's saying he is the ad nauseum Underworld Breach deck, and Brian plays Tim Necrom, which is one of the most popular CEDH decks. It's also one of the better ones. Calamity's Wake, you can obviously play it in like Mono White Prison or Winota, but a lot of people are also looking to play this in Team K itself, which has a little bit of friction because at this point, a lot of people consider Tim Necrom to be the, the Breach deck. And you want to play a card that Tormod scripts yourself in the Breach deck. Uh, so there's some natural friction in there. You have to make decisions, and that's usually pretty good with deck building. I'm so looking forward to playing this card because in addition to the giant fuck you that it offers to all of my various opponents, it's also a protection spell for if you're just playing creatures. Two mana... Players can't cast non-creature spells this turn, cast my Winota, or cast my Walking Ballista to Heliod combo off. The, the card gets rid of graveyards, stops storm-ish combos, and serves as a protection spell if you're on fair-ish creature stuff. But why would you choose to play creatures, Phil? I have a problem. If you're just like some white creature deck that doesn't really care about its graveyard, this is a card you could play. Like, I, I don't think we're going to see it in Death and Taxes. Like, Deafening Silence, I'm sure, is just better. Death and Taxes doesn't care about its graveyard, basically, at all. Firing this off, it's just the Silence, and it's Exile all graveyards. Like, it's not all instants and sorceries are all non-creatures like this gets uro out of there too it hits reanimator like this is a two mana spell that hits both reanimator and storm in meaningful ways two mana is a lot to ask against reanimator but i don't know it's there i expect people will try this in legacy and then not really dig it but in cedh where you only get one copy of each card you don't get four silence you need silence and all, every variant thereof it's probably going to slot in there so we've already talked about him in the intro of the podcast alex mckinley was streaming some the epic storm to our discord and i was watching him over lunch he's like oh brian i'm facing a learn right now and he's so confident he just resolves a galvanic relay he's feeling pretty good there's like a dark ritual a veil of summer and ad nauseum in this galvanic relay he's like i think i've got this game on alex's upkeep his opponent taps a basic planes any basic forest. And we're like, what's going on here? Oh, yeah. They played a Bance, and my Ooh. jaw hit the floor. <laughs> I was like, that is one way to beat Galvanic Relay. And uh, if you're an Allurin player looking to play a Bance, Calamity's Wake is probably up your alley. Yeah, a Bance, you know that card is like 18 bucks. They're not messing around with that one. That's for, for those of you young Zoomers who don't know about a Bance, this is a card we used to cast in Legacy all the time. One in a white instant until end of turn target player can't play instants, interrupts, sorceries or abilities requiring an activation cost. And then it was errated to say that aren't mana abilities and you draw a card. This this thing cantrips. God, I love abeyance. I play that in CEDH a little bit. It's in Teshar. But yeah, approaching 20 bones on that one. Uh, get them while they're hot. All right. Somebody read the stone brain because I'm probably going to be the one talking about this one. Yeah, I'll I'll go in here. OK, the stone brain, a two mana legendary artifact. Two tap. Exile the stone brain. Choose a card name. Search target opponent's graveyard hand and library for up to four cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles and then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. Activate only as a sorcery. So this is, uh, what is that Demir card that people play? It's similar to Necromentia. I know that one's a similar effect. Yeah, I'm brain farting on the name, but uh, Necromentia, the if it's in your hand clauses, make a 2-2 zombie. There's one that's literally this. It's just one blue black, name a card, hit their deck, hand and graveyard, and they draw a card for any number in their hand. And this is a colorless artifact version where you can invest up front, pay two, and then pay the two later if you want to get it out of your hand. Or one ancient tomb can cast this and then activate it on a following turn. 
where every other version of this effect requires at least three mana up front, and all of these effects are black up to this point, and this one's just straight up colorless. Phil, let it rip. I found it. It's Unmourned Ego. Yep, that's the one. Yep. Modern Staple. I've played a lot of that card, just brain farted on the name for a while. The key to finding it is typing similar to Lobotomy in Google and then looking at images. Wow, that is not how I would have done that. I would have gone to Scryfall and said, name a card, search target opponent, and hit enter in, in the text search. It would have come up with every variant of this. Yeah, but my way, uh, it worked. So here we are. It did work. Yeah. Good good deep cut on Lobotomy, by the way. It's from Invasion. It's my first set. You think I'm going to forget about Lobotomy? Is Lobotomy originally from Invasion? I no, thought... it's from Tempest originally, but then it was reprinted in Invasion with much better art. Okay, yeah. When you said Lobotomy, I re- immediately went to like the old, old frame and like I could picture the art. And yeah, Tempest, that was my first set. So we both have firm memories on Lobotomy. Now that we've talked about lobotomy this much. (laughs) All right, Phil, give us the stone brain. I think a lot of people, when they first viewed this card, viewed this as like this thing that you do in the main deck and it just hates out your opponent's deck. Conceptually, cards in Legacy have gotten a lot better in the last few years. In, let's say, 2010 Legacy, if you ripped your opponent's four best win conditions out of their deck, it was hard for them to win. In 2022 Legacy, let's say you take out your opponent's Minskin Boos. You still have to deal with some Uros or some other crazy powerful win condition. A single Stone Brain is not going to just win you the game in most games of Legacy. So I think people who want to just brew around this are probably barking up the wrong tree. But Phil, are there any effects that are played in Legacy that can return an artifact from the exile zone so you could cast it again? There is, in fact. So Karn the Great Creator is one of those big things that Bryant loves to hear me talk about. And this is a very neat Karn the Great Creator card. A lot of times, if you're in the position where you have resolved a Karn the Great Creator and you can't quite make it to Mycosynth Lattice, there's like one card that beats you. So you can Karn minus, get the Stone Brain, name that card that is going to like remove your Karn or otherwise clear your lock piece, and then you can do it again later if there's still something that's an out. And this also allows you to rip apart decks that you normally have trouble with. So for example, Show and Tell and Doomsday, are two cards that often slip through Chalice of the Void and Trinisphere easily, and the Stone Brain is a good way to kind of tackle those matchups. The primary problem here is that in order to do this whole Stone Brain thing, you're usually involving eight mana. Four to cast your Karn, two to play Stone Brain, two to activate it. And that's a lot to ask. So by legacy standards, I don't expect this card to be super impressive, although I do expect to see it in Karn wishboards somewhat commonly. I have been hearing people hype this up in Pioneer, though, where you can do very interesting things in some place like the Mono Green Devotion Mirror. That deck might not be legal for a whole lot longer. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, That one is kind of messed up, but Mono Green Devotion in Pioneer is a Karn deck. It's a completely broken Karn deck. There's an actual infinite combo that you can do with Karn artifacts, just wishing for them and exiling themselves and untapping Nykthos and around and around you go. Karn is honestly probably at its best in Pioneer, since it's a restriction in Vintage anyway. When we could play four Karns in Vintage, that was a crazy time. Right now, where it's legal, uh, that's probably the hottest place for it. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant right here. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love a good rant? I've had a number of people message me, Bryant, what are you going to do about the Stone Brain? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, you're not playing a main deck Tendrils anymore. You only have four Burning Wish. I'm like, yeah. They're like, what happens if your opponent plays Karn into the Stone Brain? And in my head, I'm like, what happens if they play Karn? I don't give a fuck about the Stone Brain. Like, I'm never going to beat a Karn anyway. Why would I care about Stone Brain? Why do you care about Stone Like, why did you even think this was worth messaging me? It just, like, makes me so mad that you couldn't even get past the point of where, like, your opponent played Karn, which is already an atrocity. Get out of here. Uh, like, it just drives me insane. I usually don't shitpost in the Storm groups. But when I saw that post earlier today, I just couldn't help myself. And I was just like, the Karn already beat you. Like, you don't care about the Stone Brain. You're already dead. It's true. I do think that there's going to be some applications in Pioneer, since we were already on the topic of Pioneer before my little micro rant. Yes, it's going to be good in the Model Green Devotion deck, but Pioneer is a format that has been speeding up a lot over the last six months. You'll notice that like the Model White Humans deck is very fast. We have a Red Deck Wins deck that's like hyper-aggressive. We've seen some decks like Azorius Control go from being the most popular deck in the format to not really that played. 
Uh, Spirits has gotten even smaller to the point where they're really a deck consisting of mostly one drops. And I think that the Stonebrain is more on pace than something like Slaughter Games, because Slaughter Games was a card that saw play a year ago in Niv Delight decks, and now Niv Delight doesn't see any play because it's based around resolving a five mana sorcery. Like, your deck can't be based on that sort of stuff anymore, so we're getting a slight upgrade to something like Slaughter Games that you can pay for over the course of two turns so you can play it on your second turn, use it on your third turn. And that's more on curve for where the format's heading. Yeah, that's why a lot of the previous Slaughter Games kind of decks moved to Onboard Ego and Necromentia because those are three mana cards in the formats where that's an important thing to do. Three is just so much less than four. And paying two now and two next turn is kind of the same as curving up into a three drop. Like it happens on the same turn. It is more mana overall. But you could also just do it off two lands. You could keep a two lander with Stone Brain and know that you're going to dome them on turn three without spiking your land drop or whatever. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, why don't we do Phyrexian Flesh Gorger? This is a Gorgeous. seven mana artifact creature Phyrexian Worm with Menace, Lifelink, and Ward. Pay life equal to its power. It's a base seven five, but it has another ability called Prototype. For one and two black, you can make it a 3-3 three, three instead of a 7-5. So this is a 7-7 seven, seven fatty, or sorry, a 7-mana fatty, or a 3-mana Dill Menace Lifelinker Ward. Right, Prototype, to flesh out that ability, it's an alternate cost on the cards that have it, and it arrives with all the same text, but just smaller power and toughness. So 7-mana for a 7-5, or 1-black-black for a 3-3, three, three, but it still has Menace, Lifelink, and Ward. I had a lot of people message me once they revealed prototype they're like bryant how are you going to break this and i was like what are you talking about like and they said neoform and my eyes lit up until twitter then defeated me moments later where someone commented doesn't work with neoform it does change the spells overall converted mana value on the field from what i understand if that is true it is not how i would have read it but uh, i haven't read like the the FAQ that comes out with every set, like the rules update. And normally smart people don't even engage with that sort of conversation until the official FAQ drops. Maybe it does work with Neoform. Who knows? The standing rule on in Magic is nothing can change the mana value of a permanent. The only time anywhere else, the only fluctuating mana value of a card is an X spell while it's on the stack. Because like to me on the surface... One black black looks like an alternate casting cost that puts your seven drop into play with different power and toughness. But the reminder text of prototype does say you may cast the spell with different mana cost, color and size. So maybe it does actually change the physical object that arrives in play. I, I can't comment with confidence, but yeah, it's something to think about. Even if it doesn't. So hypothetically, let's say it does come in with the seven mana value. Oh, by the way, mana value, what a cleaner term than converted mana cost. Big fan of that change. But mana value it's still way more effort to put this into play than it is an Alice Horse Rider. Like, I guess you can make a Dark Ritual Neoform deck, but that seems kind of difficult to have bug mana available. It's something you can do, and it is a pretty sweet backup win condition. I'm way more interested in Ephemerate than Neoform, because that does work. The permanent leaves play, and then the permanent comes back, and it resets all values. The game seems a new thing, so for one black, black, white, you can get your 7-5 Menace Lifelink and any other card with prototype. We chose Flesh Gorder because it seems like the most pushed one. It's the Mythic Rare. But every color has some big prototype idiot that you can cast for less and then flicker and then it's big. Brian, I bet you learned that trick at the same time that I did in my magic career, which is your opponent would play a morph creature or you would play a morph creature and then you would play Astral Slide and then you would slide that creature into exile and it would come back and you'd be like, oh, I can't believe it was an Exalted Angel. Uh, yes, uh, Exalted Angel Slide was a thing that happened when I really leaned into that as a magic player, though, was Time Spiral Block when every blue-white control deck had one Acroma red ochroma in it the one with morph because those decks also played momentary blink and you would just surprise giant flying untouchable dingus in my my control deck i'm most excited about this card in the context of reanimator so this is a very interesting option where in the times where it can't be a fatty you can just cast it as a 3-3 menace lifelinker and a lot of times your opponents aren't necessarily going to have small removal like lightning bolt remaining in their deck because trying to fight over something like a resolved grizzlebrand is often a bad idea 
So you take out your removal and try to load up on, you know, the discard, the force of wills or whatever that is going to stop it from getting in play in the first place. And this is just like, oh, Dark Ritual, 3-3, three, three, Lifelink Menace. This is a huge distraction that you have to deal with. I spend a lot of time in my control deck videos saying, okay, now we're just worried about hard cast grief. When they get to four mana, they're back in this game. Uh, if I don't do something before that point. And this is in that hard cast grief territory. All right, let's get cruising. We're, we're dragging here. The next one is third pa path iconoclast. Hey, the third path. They're back, Brian. More third path cards. This one is a human monk, not an artificer. Blue, red. So is it mana? 2-1, human monk. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token. So this is somewhere in between Young Pyromancer and Monastery Mentor, but the tokens being artifacts is pretty big. This is a self-contained kill in Modern with Underworld Breach and Mishra's Bobble and uh, a Grinding Station. Like, you don't need Thassa's Oracle in the deck anymore. You can cast your Bobble from Breach. It makes it a second artifact, and you can sacrifice the Bobble to mill yourself and the Soldier to mill your opponent. And it's just a self-contained kill, no Thoracle required. It's also just an alternate win con of go wide. That's the most exciting use I've seen for this one so far. We might see this kicking around Legacy, but yeah, just replacing Thoracle while providing a go wide plan for Modern Breach is pretty messed up. Young Pyromancer is a bit of a tough sell in Legacy these days. Although Hunter Nance did, I believe, win an event with one in his blue-red Delver decklist. The card is not invalidated. Now you can play with eight of those if that's something that you want in your deck building. And this one also makes colorless soldiers that are also artifacts. So if you have any artifact-based synergies as well, I don't know, Urza, Urza Saga. Saga tokens or something, uh, it could actually get pretty interesting. Yep, Modern Breach, also a Saga deck, by the way. Delicious. Uh, very excited to see where this one goes there. The next one, Brotherhood's End. One red red sorcery. Choose one. Brotherhood's End deals three damage to each creature and each planeswalker, or destroy all, all artifacts with mana value three or less. So this is just like, uh, Sweltering Suns variant, Anger of the Gods variant. Uh, it, it's either like half of a Shatterstorm or a Sweeper. This is one of those things that I always am thinking about for quirky blue control decks that are a little bit tight on sideboard slots, but getting to a decent amount of mana is not going to be a problem. This is neat. The ability to kill off Planeswalkers and Creatures and also serve as a pseudo meltdown is a lot of flexibility. I don't think there's much else to say here. Why don't we go ahead and move on? I, I just want to real quick, uh, I know we're trying to wrap this up, but deals three damage to each creature and each Planeswalker. That's not modal. Uh, the decks that are going to have no creatures and might care about artifacts sometimes are going to be full of Planeswalkers. And uh, it's going to be really hard to find a deck that would want to sweep one or the other sometimes because it seems like, like at least destroy all creatures, like anger the gods. You can leave all your planeswalkers around. Uh, meltdown. Uh, I don't know. I'm just having a hard time seeing exactly this the sweet spot where this would be what you want. I don't know where the home is, but if you're you want to play an anger of the gods type card and the exiling isn't relevant, you know you don't have your strangle root geists or whatever that are going to be coming back. This is a card that should be on your radar. Right. I mean, Seeds of Innocence has resurfaced into legacy playability in the last year, and this has the same mana value. Does one of the same things, doesn't gain your opponent a bunch of life, and sometimes does something different. So it's in the realm of cards we've seen. Did you two know that there's a new Urza land in this set? And it's got a Mishra's back half of the name, so you know it's going to be good. Yeah, we got Urza's Workshop. This is a land-Urza's, so it counts as an Urza land. Tap, add a colorless. If you have Metalcraft, you can tap it to add a colorless for each Urza's land you control. Activate only if you control three or more artifacts. Yep, thanks. Reminder text, that's what Metalcraft means. Yeah, so Urza's lands include this one, the Urza Tron lands, and Urza Saga. So this is definitely on par with Mishra's Workshop, right? Uh, I mean, it's better at casting spells that are not artifacts than Mishra's Workshop is. It's got that going for it. That's true. Yep, at, at its baseline, this is Waste, a, a non-basic Waste, tap for colorless comes into play untapped. So when when this first got spoiled, people were losing their minds, thinking that it was going to break formats. As someone who spends a lot of time tapping colorless lands, I'm going to tell you this card is not as good as you think it is. So, number one, this requires multiple lands in order to be good. 
that's fine. We've seen that be successful. This also requires metalcraft. So this requires three artifacts and multiple other Urza lands before it's going to be good. Let's compare this to, I don't know, Ancient Tomb that just makes two mana on turn one. Or Cloud Post that ha like requires you to jump through fewer hoops. The Urza's Workshop is not going to be breaking any sort of older formats like Vintage or Legacy. It's just not fast enough and you're jumping through a lot of hoops. While it can be super neat late in the game as a huge mana producer, the game's probably already decided by the point that this is good in most cases. Right. The The most shocking thing someone said was that you can play Urza Saga on turn one, this on turn two, and start making constructs, but you would have needed to get three artifacts into play on turn one. So you would need to like cast your Shadow Spear or Springleaf Drum or whatever, and then Bobble Bobble or Shadow Sp or a Springleaf Drum Memnite Ornithopter. And then you get to play this on turn two and activate your... Uh, it, it's just, yeah, good luck with that two card hand making some constructs. I, I'm not impressed. That seems worse than everything 8cast is already doing. And how is this going to feel after the Meltdown type cards that are already beating you? It's Meltdown that makes your Gaia's Cradle not work. <laughs> yeah, get, get out of here. Yuck. Urza Tron, the, the most prominent Urza lands, simply not appearing in Legacy anywhere, ever. That's just, there's better mana engines Good luck out there. I'm sure someone will send me a deck to play with this, but I'm not feeling big about it. Oh, I am 100% going to play this card. Like, let's be real here. This is in my wheelhouse. I'm going to have to test it so other people don't play this, but I'm not expecting it. Yeah, to you got to ramp out your stone brain somehow. Exactly. They will appear in the same deck. So as far as the bro spoilers go, this is going to be a relatively light set for our legacy listeners out here. Um, and that's honestly a welcome change because we have seen some sets that just completely revamped the face of Legacy and we're going to see minor changes, some slight upgrades here and there and some cool new tech and I'm very happy with that personally. This episode of the Eternal Glory podcast is sponsored by the European Legacy Masters. The ELM is an invitation-only event where the best Legacy players from across the continent face off to determine the European Legacy Champion. Behind this project is a group of European legacy enthusiasts that want to see the legacy format thrive. The inaugural edition of the ELM will take place in Bologna, Italy, alongside the Four Seasons Autumn Tournament on December 3rd, 2022. The event will be live-streamed on twitch.tv slash Four Seasons Tournaments. First edition will feature a mix of legacy players who have qualified through local tournament play, plus some special guests including Andrea Mangucci, Javier Dominguez, and Gary Campbell. Go to EuropeanLegacyMasters.com for more info or follow at EU Legacy Masters on Twitter. I believe we have Gary Campbell to thank for Chalice of the Void. Send him my regards. The inventor of Chalice of the Void. All right. Disgusting. Fantastic. So for the tail end of our episode here, we wanted to revisit the initiative specifically in the context of Legacy. And we're recording this on November 15th, which is the day that we get a treasure chest update on Magic Online. And White Plume Adventurer, as well as Seasoned Dungeoneer, are going to be coming to Magic Online today. Let me read these real quick. White Plume Adventurer, 2 and a white, 3-3, three, three, Orc Cleric. When White Plume Adventurer enters the battlefield, you take the initiative. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, untap a creature you control. If you've completed a dungeon, untap all creatures you control instead. And the other one... Seasoned Dungeoneer, 3 and a white, Human Warrior, 3-4. When Seasoned Dungeoneer enters the battlefield, you take the initiative. Whenever you attack, target attacking Cleric, Rogue, Warrior, or Wizard gains protection from creatures until end of turn, and it explores. That's a lot of text. I think before we get into these cards and the initiative, uh, we do briefly want to mention this treasure, date, treasure chest update is the start of trying to bridge Magic Online with Paper Legacy, but we're still missing a lot of relevant cards, such as Mind Goblin, Pair, o Pair of Dice, and the Warhammer 40k cards, such as the Triumph of St. Catherine. So we're starting to see Day Daybreak Game do some good work and get these cards online, but there's still more work to be done. Yeah, it's, it's kind of shitty that the breakneck pace of set releases just... It took us 
a month or more to get Minskin Boo and Maddening Hex, and Minskin Boo is just a format staple. It, it, it sucks when you can't play with these cards. At Buffalo Chicken Legacy last weekend, I played against Mind Goblin Food Chain in my winning in round for top eight, and would have been nice to play against that ever. <laughs> really, no, I mean, I could figure out what's going on, but like, you know, sucks. I've also seen Paradise Lost getting kicked around on Twitter a bit. A lot of cool cards in in the Warhammer set, not just Triumph of St. Catherine, but there's some like cool dredge card. There's some other stuff going on in there. I would like to see those, and I hope Magic does a better job releasing cards that people can play on the platform where people play cards. I want to say something positive. Magic Online recently has given their everything over to Daybreak Games. This is the first time where I've experienced a Magic Online bug where I've submitted a reimbursement request. I was refunded within the hour. Usually it's days before you get that little message from an orc that has some happy thing. And they're like, we've refunded your 100 play points. While I do appreciate that little joke they would put in there. It's way better to get my get refunded within the hour than in three days. Yeah, I noticed that too. Uh, when when Uro was bugged, I, I said something. They hot fixed it within like 48 hours and I was refunded for my league within a few hours of sending the thing. So good on you, Daybreak Games. Also... MTGO is just running faster for me, which I appreciate. Returning to our initiative cards, these are archetype-defining power level cards. And by that, I mean you can build a new legacy deck around these two cards. You don't slot them into an existing deck. Like, they are their own archetype. And they're going to kind of completely revitalize the, the white stompy archetype, which... Historically speaking, has been a little bit sus. It's had inconsistent mana as a big problem, and it's also been a little bit short on playables, and you often end up playing some things that are a little bit shameful, or you end up splashing colorless for things like Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher, and it puts more of a strain on the mana base than you would expect. These two cards fix both of this deck's primary problems though, which is super convenient. And before we get too deep, I want to remind everyone what the initiative does, because this is kind of a weird thing. It was briefly in Popper, then got banned out of Popper for the most part, and is just now making its way to Legacy with all the cards that we we've had Caves of Chaos Adventure for a while, but the initiative for the listeners who aren't in the know, whenever you take the initiative and at the beginning of your upkeep, venture into the Undercity. And the Undercity is a dungeon where the first room, you search your library for a basic land. The next room, you can decide between putting two plus one counters on a creature or a scrying three. The next room is deal five or target player loses five life, goad target creature or create a treasure token. And then the next rooms are draw a card or make a four one black skeleton token with menace. And then the final room Reveal the top 10 cards of your library, put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield with three plus one counters on it. It gains hexproof until your next turn, then shuffle. And a really important thing about the initiative compared to Monarch is the initiative stacks as new creatures arrive. White Plume Adventurer and Seasoned Dungeoneer and all the other initiative creatures say when this enters the battlefield, take the initiative. It's not like Monarchy, where if you're already in the Monarch, becoming the Monarch doesn't do a second thing. When you take the initiative and during your upkeep, you move further into the dungeon. So if you curve White Plume Adventurer on turn three, turn cycle passes, your upkeep, you go to the room number two, then you play Seasoned Dungeoneer. Now you're in room number three. And in the payoff in the final room, if you flip a card with the initiative, you go back into the dungeon immediately because the creature just came into play and you took the initiative. This thing just piles on top of itself and the momentum is nothing like the Monarch really provides. And that that left side of the dungeon that put two plus one counters on a creature, target player loses five life, draw a card, that kills fast. Yeah, so like Caves of Chaos Ad Adventurer is a turn one play if you have like a soul land and two pieces of other mana acceleration that will just win the game on its own. And these white ones are going to work the same way. Specifically within the context of this shell, the white stompy deck lists have always had really shaky mana because you're often like using cavernous souls to make things uncounterable while also playing like ancient tomb city of traders. The first part of initiative helping you make your land drop means that you can cast the follow-up card much easier, especially if you use some temporary mana like, say, a Lotus Petal or a Spirit Guide. And then you add eight playable cards with this mechanic to your deck, 
And that means that you can take out a lot of the like crappy filler creatures that were often rounding out the, the deck lists. So these cards simultaneously fix this deck's two biggest weaknesses. I'm scared of this. I play decks with Swords to Plowshares and Force of Will in them, but Swords to Plowsharing uh, a creature with initiative is much like plowing one with the Monarch, where if I can't also hit you and take the initiative or take the Monarchy, it's going to trigger each turn and keep giving you value. Like You have to stop these things from even arriving or use Dress Down or just have creatures to clap back with. Uh, this is really scary for control decks. I will tell you that last week I had two videos with the initiative go live. One of them is a 5-0 with Caves of Chaos Adventurer Moon Stompy. One of them is a 4-1 with a Winota initiative deck. And it was only a 4-1 because I punted the 5-0. Like, it was on me. I realized the correct decision about half a turn later. And it cost me my trophy. The mechanic is objectively incredibly strong. Now, this general archetype does already have paper finishes. Uh, it, it's not like we're just talking about a theoretical archetype. The archetype is currently budding. Dark Onyx or Dark W Onyx, however we're supposed to pronounce that, um, took down an event recently. And I'm just going to kind of read off the creatures so you get a feel for what's in here. Archon of Ameria, Elite Spellbinder, Palace Jailer, Seasoned Dungeoneer, Solitude, Spirit of the Labyrinth, Thalia Guardian of Thraben, White Plume Adventurer. So this is a carefully curated list of some of the more annoying hate bears that can be played off like one white source and an ancient tomb, as well as incredibly powerful initiative-based threats. Yeah, it, it's really interesting the mana curve in this deck because... Normally a hate bear deck is trying to get two mana. This one wants three. So these are kind of like hate gray ogres. There's a, a heavy, heavy list of those. And this isn't even playing anointed peacekeeper, which is a new card from whatever the previous one, Dominaria United. Uh, that card is a three mana, three, three, that when it enters the battlefield, you look at your opponent's hand, then name a card. That card costs two more to cast and costs two more to activate any abilities of it. So it's like a targeted suppression field with Sorcerer's Spyglass and a 3-3 body. Like That could go in here too. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff for this archetype trickling through. And part of the reason why it's not maxing out on two drops is because this is a suppression field deck. So you have Chalice of the Void, Suppression Field, Thalia, Spirit of the Labyrinth as your two drops. That's just enough. Like, that is going to consistently give you a turn two play, or sometimes a turn one play if you have a Chrome box. And, and Bryant is just logging out of the call over there. He's he has just turned off his computer. He's gone. I, nothing to say here. It's hard to get excited about the Thalia Chalice of the Void Mindbreak trap deck. I'm sorry, guys. And yeah, this isn't just a combo player assault. You get some control player assault coming from me, too. Suppression field bullshit initiative and monarch bullshit man uh this thing sucks also four cavern of souls so i was talking about how and our kind of Amiria. yeah uh all these cards are are pretty gnarly yeah uh for those of you who are playing four color control right now just like think about your mana base and think about what a turn one archon of Amiria does to your game i refuse phil i won't and think about sometimes it sometimes it's uncounterable mm, delicious so as this archetype emerges, if it takes a real place in the metagame, I think control players are going to want to be forcing Chrome Mox, like really aggressively. When these creatures, once they arrive, this is a 16 land deck with four Amiria's Call, which is the, the Lightning Bolt DFC card uh, from the cycle of like Crypt of Agonim and stuff. And I, I think Force of Will and Chrome Mox will stuff enough because uh, it's four Ancient Tomb, one City of Traitors, and then there's a bunch of one-mana lands. Don't let them get ahead of you. If you play Wasteland, be aggressive about it. Like, cutting this deck's mana out from under it seems like the way to attack it, because once they start resolving spells, you're just going to die. So, historically, for those of you who have played a lot against, like, old-school red-green lands, attacking their Mox Diamond was often really smart because it took them off of the mana needed to, like, cast their life from the loam because, like, they're relatively light on white sources. Some similar things are true here. Cavern of Souls is not going to hit every creature type here. Like, there's Archons, there's Spirits, there's Humans, there's Elementals. Like, there's a lot of creature types here. There's Orcs. 
Sounds like good deck building. Boom! Yep, just good deck building. But the trick is they only need to resolve the first one, and then it's going to roll from there. So notably, these white stompy lists haven't been iterated on a lot. Normally, Magic Online happens. Someone puts up a challenge result with it. 200 people copy that list, try it out, and it gets iterated on and talked about a lot. Whereas with paper results, a lot of times, if it's not a big event, it's kind of swept under the table and largely ignored. There are also builds of this floating around that play like Esper Sentinel. So the deck can actually have a one drop. And if you run into your own Chalice, it's not a problem because you're also a Cavernous Souls deck. There's versions with like Thalia Heretic Cathar. There's versions with Sarah Paragon as a way to recast your creatures from the graveyard. There's going to be a lot of experimentation with this archetype, and you're going to see people messing around with, like, do I want Suppression Field? Do I just want more creatures? Do I want main deck Thorn of Amethyst or something like that? Um, expect this archetype to change a lot very quickly. Yeah, at uh, the Buffalo Chicken Open, playing for winning in in round six, the table next to me was mind goblin food chain goblins versus white plume adventurer white eldrazi neither of which are decks that could exist on magic online until today and still one of them can't exist so there's stuff happening out there in paper that we just haven't really seen if you're not digging for it and with paper magic you do get that brewer's advantage right now because for an entire month no one knew how to face minskin boo and it was one of the best things you could be doing now we have uh a seething song that makes potentially seven mana right uh, six oh, i thought it capped at seven maybe i'm wrong a-e-i-o-u-n-y there are only six vowels in the english language all right brian knows how to count i do not okay well it makes six mana right but there's some Subtle advantages you can get over people that only play online right now. And I guess that's my main thesis here is if you're going to be going to Buffalo Chicken Dip Legacy or the Legacy Pit, whatever you're up to. Or Eternal Weekend. Hint, hint. Coming up quick here. Definitely prepare yourself with some things you're not familiar with. I know a lot of people in the Storm Discord are really excited about Paradise Lost. It's a green past in flames. There might be something there. Triumph of St. Catherine is reviving miracles. There's a lot going on right now. Pay attention. And as far as brewing goes, it's possible you can even build an entirely different initiative deck like and get both the red ones and the white ones in there. Your mana is going to be sketch because you're essentially going to be a three-color deck if you're also trying to play like Ancient Tombs. But like I've already got some deck lists drafted up that have all 12 of these cards in here, four of each of them, including Caves of Chaos Adventurer. And as soon as I can get my filthy fingers on those cards and they're currently like $40 each because they just released today but as soon as they're reasonable to acquire that's one of the first things I'm going to test out wash your hands for how, how dumb can we make this how sad can I make Bryant very sad and Brian <laughs> you're just coming at both of us today so Phil I have a question for you then I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. So you're happy about your initiative creatures you know they do powerful things I'm not going to deny that but they are one colorless white, white, which are always, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to cast for at least one of them, right? No. So it's two, two colorless and a white, and then three colorless and a white. Oh, my bad. I misunderstood. Okay. So one of them is on compare, it's comparable to like Goblin Rabble Master. The other's four mana. On rate, do you think this is better than Goblin Rabble Master and Legion War Boss and Squee? How does it compare to just like a dedicated Moon Stompy deck? So if you are trying to kill your opponent as quickly as possible, the initiative is not necessarily what you want. Caves of Chaos Adventurer is currently a flex spot in the Moonstompy deck lists. It is very strong. It kills quickly. But as far as the general plan of play lockpiece, play threat, play threat, Caves of Chaos Adventurer isn't necessarily the best thing to do there. Caves of Chaos Adventurer is an alternative plan that's a pain in the butt to deal with. Your initiative cards are going to be better against the control matchups than anything else, or maybe your mid-rangey matchups. They're going to be slightly worse versus combo, but the thing is they're still very serviceable versus combo. It's a threat, you make your land drop, you get bigger, you drain, hopefully your opponent is dead. And... I think it is going to be as good as or better than things like Fireflux Squad that are already seeing some degree of play. I think the... I played one league recently, which isn't a lot of experience, but it's non-zero. And I think I had two Caves of Chaos Adventure in the 75. And while that looks kind of embarrassing and clunky compared to like 
turn one moon turn two rabble master it does solo a game in a way that other cards in that deck don't there were games where it's like i'm way behind i got a top deck a good one caves of chaos adventure lfg and it just won the game on its own i think the big difference between moon stompy and these white decks is the white decks don't have a spirit guide so the white decks have worse mana which is the big uh both on like level of explosiveness and producing an on-color source, just losing Spirit Guide in the shell. Absolutely. The nice thing about Initiative in particular is that it's good versus removal. If I play my Caves of Chaos Adventure or either one of these white cards and then you like Lightning Bolt and kill my threat, I don't care. I'll scry, get a really good draw, uh, I'll make a treasure, then I'll make a 4-1, and then I will get another Initiative card out of my deck that has three plus one plus one counters on it and is hard to remove because it temporarily has hex proof. That value train keeps going. And given how many decks are looking to just go expressive iteration, mystic sanctuary, expressive iteration, this lets you legitimately keep up with the degrees of card advantage that those decks are getting. Whereas Goblin Rabble Master into Legion War Boss is going to fall behind if your opponent just answers both of those creatures. My One of my recent favorite cards is Kozilek's Return. I've been playing that in multiples in my control decks, and that doesn't even kill these creatures that we're talking about. And even if it did, doesn't actually answer the problems they cause. So going to need a new new solution if this picks up in the metagame. Hydroblast was real good versus Caves of Chaos Adventurer, but uh, Seasoned Dungeoneer and White Plume Adventurer doesn't hit those. Yeah, did, do we have uh, like Death Blast yet? Do we have a black one that gets the white cards? Because that's a cool effect no, that I would enjoy. No, here. I had to live through years of fucking losing to uh, Dread of Night. Let, let my white creatures take over the game for a change. Are there any closing thoughts on... You should have your eye on these cards, even if you never intend to actually cast them. Like, be aware of the deck building and the technology that is going on so that you don't get caught with your metaphorical pants down. Um, as the next couple of weeks go by, we will learn very quickly whether or not this is like a legitimate tier one strategy or just a fringe contender, because this is going to be another one of those Chalice of the Void decks that has to compete with both Moon Stompy and Eight Cast, both of which are very well performing, very consistent, very highly tuned deck lists. I'm going to be playing the hell out of this deck and things that look like it. Other people are going to be testing it as well. Be ready for it. <laughs> <laughs>